still feel not. Number 155. The one where we dump a lot of oil on your head. The Feel Knots Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you Theo brothers of Jesus out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. Together we are the Theonauts. Nailed it. How you doing, David? Good, man. Good. Just had Christmas. Did you have yourself a merry little Christmas? I had myself a merry little Christmas. Yeah. Did you get everything yes for Santa? Um, you know, I didn't really didn't ask anything from Santa, but I got like the mother load. Yeah. In this one gift my wife gave me right here. (laughs) Her love and affection. Yes. So amazing. No, that's not it. It's actually (laughs) another version of the Bible, right? Yes. It is the passion translation of the New Testament Psalms, Proverbs, and Song of Songs. Nice. Nice. So you've been reading through it? Anything oh, awesome? Oh, man, I love it. So th- so this is a... I, I haven't really gone through too much of the New Testament yet because I'm just slow engulfed in the songs, the Psalms, and now Song of Songs. This is like, oh, so cool. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys know about this translation, but it's it's one of these fringe translations or whatever. It's you know translated by one guy. Right. But it's a lot like Eugene Patterson's, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, the message. Uh, but it is this guy is like dedicated to the passionate side of the scriptures. Like that's what he's he's after is the heart, right, of the scriptures. So this is definitely not a word for word translation. <clears throat> it is it is very much a functionally equivalent translation. Sure. So what he's trying to do is capture the spirit and the passion of the original authors. Okay. So a lot of times you lose that completely if you're just going, well, what's this word mean? Let's look it up in the English and let's put it in here. Right. Versus, no, how did those words convey the thought in their time? Sure. And so if we were to take the English equivalent to that, what might it say? So sometimes you'll read it and, oh, like, you won't even hardly recognize like very familiar passages like Psalms 23, which mm. everyone can quote. Sure. And you read it in this translation, and, and once you think about it, it's like, oh, that is that. <laughs> but just upon the initial hearing of it, you might not even really catch it. Right. You know, but, recognize it. But I, I love it to death, and especially the Psalms. Are, I've been reading the Psalms for a while. It's powerful. And uh, Song of Songs is, is really cool, too, because it, it takes it from a, that... You know the we we kind of make fun of it, sure, because it's like the worst compliments in the world, right? Uh, you know, your your teeth are like sheep, yeah, flowing through the field, and you know, right? Uh, just you know, you, your nose is like a tower, tower of, of Lebanon. Lebanon. <laughs> yeah, it's like whoa, okay, you need to work on you on your game there, Solomon. Right? No, but. Uh, but then you know this translation takes those into a little bit 
more of a equivalent right compliments and stuff so it just reads really plus that's that whole book is is a love story between us and god like right. us and jesus and so just from that perspective it's really powerful mm. so i really like it um anyway i may be reading from it in james nice so, actually i was reading through it and it doesn't read much different than the esv Mm-mm. on uh on james so. there's not a lot of passion there's a lot of anger well, it's a different type of passion, isn't it? It is. Come now, you. Come now, you rich. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I had a, a good Christmas. What about you? Great Christmas. It was a lot of fun. The family came down, and we, we hung out and ate turkey, and I'm still stuffed, and it was good fun. And uh, watching Blakely open presents is probably my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> like, just getting to see her. Go in and start pushing the buttons really fast. You know? <laughs> it's hilarious. So I love that. I got a my favorite gift was probably the Weezer tickets. Oh yeah, I got Weezer tickets and the That's Pixies. Crazy and the Pixies. Gift. Yeah. So of course you know you kind of grew up on on Weezer, right? But uh, like the Pixies were a big uh, like influence on me. Like when I was eighteen, nineteen years sure. old. You know, I mean that was like. They were like the the one of the very first forerunners of the grunge movement or alternative music yeah, alternative, in general. Yeah. And and I remember just everyone hating on it. Like, what is that weird stuff you're listening to? Man, what's wrong with you? <laughs> everyone else was listening to MC Hammer right. and Whitney Houston and you know, all this, and here I am listening to yeah. uh you know, this monkey's gone to heaven by Pixies. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I get to watch them, and uh, it's it's the original lineup minus the bassist. What's her name? Really, yeah, Kim did, Deal. Yeah, because they they don't get along. I guess. Well, that's what I I was wondering about because they had kind of a bitter breakup, breakup. Mm-hmm. and it was just a three man band right. or a three person band. There right. was a chick bassist. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. Yeah. So it, it's supposed to be good, and then of course Weezer. I grew up in Weezer, and mm-hmm. I'll never forget. I traded my uh, Magical Mystery Tour CD to a friend for Weezer's Blue album. I never really listened to Weezer, but that was my. And so I put that in, and it's still my favorite album. It it's really good. It's mm-hmm. not my favorite. Pinkerton's my favorite album, mm-hmm. which is their second one, and everybody hated on it. But to me, there's no better. I, you could hear the angst in his voice in, in those. A lot of people don't equate Weezer with emo, but right. Weezer was the early forerunner of emo, in my opinion. Yeah, and a lot of their songs. I used to call it loser rock. Yeah, there was this big movement in the ni- in the nineties of it's cool not to be cool. Like yeah. it's cool to be a loser. Yeah, and of course you had Beck and yeah. Weezer, right. and you know, and then on the Christian front you had Bleach kind of yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah. And even Skillet was kind of mm-hmm. doing that too. But, uh, you know, I just, I love Rivers Como because the guy is a genius. People don't realize this, but in between, right after Pinkerton, he, he quit playing music and he decided, all right, I'm going to take, you know, because nobody liked the album, <clears throat> I'm going to take some time off and I'm going to go to school. So what does he do? He goes to University of Harvard and gets a degree <laughs> in uh, English literature. Wow. For, so, you know, not a lot of uh, band, you know, rock stars can say that they have a Harvard degree from, you know, in, in English lit. So he's a brilliant man. And so I just, I love their music and uh, always have. So Dylan got me that. And then I uh, I got 
some essential oils and beard palm and a brush and a comb and so i'm a happy camper it's a good day <laughs> yeah so now you gotta let the you gotta let it grow out that's right that's my goal see how far we can get that's yeah the, by by this time next year you're not, not, gonna, not gonna cut it huh well i'm gonna trim it but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cut it like i have so <laughs> sorry if i do any weddings or funerals you get what you get anyways so yeah it was a good christmas man awesome yeah well Oh, we had a good Christmas at the uh, at the way too. Oh yeah, the candlelight and, service was wonderful, and the the nativity thing was really fun again yeah, this year. Um, we had uh, the first night was really slow, yeah, but then the second night was uh, quite a bit better, mm-hmm. and then the last night we had a pretty good stream of people coming through. Of course, it was Christmas Eve, right? And uh, and then did the candlelight service, which I thought went over really well. Sure. So uh, yeah, it was fun, man. Good feedback on that. Yep. All right, let's do this. All right. Let's light this candle. So we are we have come to the end of James, yes. our James series, which it's been it's been really fun, kind of bittersweet, you know. Uh, it's a lot a lot of sad stuff going on. But uh, but I've enjoyed it quite a bit, and so, uh, anyways, yeah, it's a good study. It is, and, and uh, you know, we've gotten some good feedback on it. It's um, it's one of those those books that constantly we hear uh, things like, you know, it just seems like random and arbitrary instructions by uh, James, right? <clears throat> but there really is a thread that is moving through this this book. One of the you know one of the things I don't like about uh, the way this is divided, so it's he divided it wrong between four and five to me. Okay, you talking about the Jerome? Chap- yeah, Jerome's Jerome. Jerome's well, no, chapter who breaks. was it? Who did the chapter? Yeah, Jerome did the chapter yeah. breaks. And you know it it just it should have it should have been uh, dropped down. I think verse seven should have been the, the chapter break. If we yeah, you're probably right. Um, it's almost because because like, that's really where the <laughs> end. What's that's where the what do you call it the um, um, the benediction of sorts. That's, right. That's really where he's, if you can have a benediction in this, and <laughs> it's almost like he just drops off. Yeah, like he doesn't even say see ya. Like yeah. it's like <laughs> I'm just tired of writing. Exactly. I'm done. <sighs> oh my gosh. So, anyways. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it does. It seems very random. James five or James. When you approach James, it seems like he's just an old man rambling. But you see a lot of when you actually study it in context and you take it step by step, you see it actually all flows together, and it, and it's uh, a huge warning to uh, uh, to the church, early church who was suffering during this time, and <coughs> and uh, so there are two major things. Number one. How to handle suffering and mm-hmm. how to handle uh, um, whenever uh, trials come your way, and the other thing is a warning that was going on in the early church, which was divisions between the rich and the poor, mm-hmm. um, and the rich people treating the poor people like yes, hypocrisy, like scum, and so that's basically what James has been talking about for four chapters. And honestly, I think the two go together. I think what he's basically saying is, if you're going to be this kind of a Christian, 
a Christian that is high-minded, thinks you have it all together, thinks you're a religious person, uh, really loves the show of it, really loves uh, the prestige that you think comes along with being a good Christian, then you're not going to be able to endure suffering. Right. I think that's that's really that's the good. whole point. Like like he's saying, in order to get to the place where you can enjoy suffering, you have to realize you're nothing. Yeah. To begin with, you right. have to realize that you're on equal ground with every other Christian who's ever lived. Right. And so, out of that, we get some very, very misunderstood passages of Scripture um, that even Martin Luther, I think, misunderstood in a lot of ways. Um, But then, legalists today take these Scriptures way out of context Mm -hmm. and destroy them. So, we've covered a lot of those in chapter uh, 3 and and 2, mainly chapter 2. Last part of chapter 2. That's right, in chapter 3 and even a little bit in chapter 4. And so, the, the point was not to say that, you know... Uh, your works are what save you, or the point wasn't to say you are you're awesome if you're a, a do gooder. Mm-hmm. The point was to say no, nobody has it right. We all need to fall in the law of liberty, mm-hmm. which is grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you think that basically that your sin doesn't smell like the other person's, <laughs> then you're wrong. You know. And so uh, that's you know that's yeah. the truth. But. Yeah, quit quit making it all about religious practice exactly, and make it about uh, your daily life exactly. Make, make, you know, and that's one thing that has existed ever since th- this time. Yeah, we still have this. People are still so caught up in what happens on Sunday morning <laughs> that what happens on Monday morning doesn't really doesn't matter. matter. Yeah, and. Um, and it's really right the opposite. Right. You know, that, that Sunday morning is great. Don't get me wrong. But what really matters is how you live your life. Are you living it for Christ? Right. So chapter four summed up a warning against worldliness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and chapter five is going to jump right back into that theme. Yep. Um, but basically, don't focus on what you have because what you have is going to be destroyed. And then he he commands them to cleanse themselves, <laughs> purify themselves, let their laughter be turned to mourning, right? And then he talks about boasting for tomorrow. Um, and that's why I say that the beginning of chapter 5 is a lot like chapter 4. In fact, chapter 5 and chapter 4 are almost synonymous up until verse 7. Uh, so, Jerome, you missed the boat on this one, dude. Yeah, I hate not, to say that. It's not the only place. Yeah, I know. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's sometimes where he... Chapter breaks in the middle of sentences. Oh, yeah. So it's just so funny to me. Yeah, so there's some frustrating ones, like Romans 5 and 6. I mean, uh, Hebrews 5 and 6, <laughs> Romans 7 and 8. Like, yeah. those, they're just breaking them in the wrong place. All right. All right, so let's look at chapter 5, and let's just read verse 6, I guess. Okay, let's read it in our Passion Translation. Passion Translation. Listen, all of you who are rich, for it's time to weep and howl over the misery that will overtake you. Your riches lie rotting, your fine clothing eaten by moths, and your gold and silver are corroded as a witness against you. You've hoarded up treasure for the last days, but it will become a fire to burn your flesh. Listen, can't you hear the cries of the laborers over the wages you fraudulently held back from those who worked for you? The cries for justice of those you've cheated have reached the ears of the Lord of armies. 
you have indulged yourselves with every luxury and pleasure this world offers, but you're only suffering your heart full, or you're only stuffing your heart full for a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered good and innocent people who had no power to defend themselves. Hmm. So there's a lot of questions here that arise. The first one... um, it's obvious that, that something was going, cheating was going on mm-hmm. in the early church. And I'm wondering if this is not just the early church, but I'm wondering if James is proclaiming this to all rich people in the society that was going on at this time. Because you look at the end, you have fattered your heart, uh, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person, he does not resist you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what was happening with Christians left and right. Yeah. They, they were being condemned and murdered by the rich, right? By the by the Jewish in, in, uh, in fact high society. That's the way he starts chapter two. Exactly. Right? He's like, Why are you pu- puffing up the rich? Aren't those the ones who oppress you? <laughs> exactly. So there's a... but the sad thing is is the people in the church are following along right along with this. Mm. Right? Um they are uh um they're they're cheating laborers, right? And keeping back money by fraud. <laughs> uh, well, well, and this this is a common theme yeah. that goes through uh, Psalms. I mean, David talks about this a lot. Sure. Uh, and Proverbs. I mean, there's this constant message about cheating your workers. And I mean, a lot of this, um, people talking, uh, landowners, talking about rich landowners. And ha- oh, what was uh, Habakkuk? Remember when we did Habakkuk? Right. Uh, there's there's this theme that just seems to be going around from early on. Sure. That you know, oppressing those who can't defend themselves. Right. And the whole goal, the whole reason they do that is to store up more wealth, mm-hmm. more benefits for themselves on earth. And this is why I say it shouldn't have been a chapter break here because that's what he's talking about. They're boasting in tomorrow. Yeah, they're storing up all their stuff and holding it, uh, you know, and they're 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 um, living in their their riches. I I like how he uses their own desires to basically say the thing you're wanting is what's going to hurt you, right? Like you know, saying that uh, uh, you're going to choke on it, basically, <laughs> you know, like like. Uh, your your gold and silver is what's going to burn you. That that the, you're going to suffer fire from that. Right. Um, I think that's that's just so uh, cool because it's basically saying, be careful what you ask for, because you may not really desire the end result of what you're asking for. Right. The very stuff that that you're you're gaining is the stuff that's going to become your curse. Right. It's amazing how much we see this uh, played out in. In our own uh, uh, fiction stories, mm-hmm. you think of the monkey's paw, for mm-hmm. instance. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Or are these different? It's it's almost like the thing that you lust after the most is the thing that it's your downfall. It's going to cost you everything. It's right. the Midas touch, mm-hmm. right? It's that whole and it, there's some 
definite truth to that. Yeah. It's the thing that you, you know, you store up the most is going to cost you your very soul in the end. And that's exactly what was happening here. These rich people uh, were storing up. And so what does he say? He said, he says, come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their, their riches can't uh, sustain them. And once they die, Right, they're gonna they're gonna face a serious judgment, and so uh, that's what that's what James is trying to conclude with conclude chapter four with yeah is to to watch out because this is the thing that's going to consume you and destroy you yeah the things that they've the things that they have spent their time focusing on he's he's basically saying the focus is wrong right like your focus is actually going in the opposite direction right of of where you need to be going. And that your focus needs needs to be on helping others, loving others, taking care of others, which is where he gets to by the end of this right. chapter, because he basically turns it around. Exactly. Um, this thing is kind of bookended. Yeah. Because it does end in pretty much the same place as it began, as it started, which was suffering. I like verse five is probably my favorite verse out of this. Uh, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Mm. So the idea is, you know, you fatten up a cow to, to slaughter it. Yeah. And that's what these guys are. They're fattened calves waiting for the day of slaughter. And so that's the image that James gives us whenever we hoard. And I think that there's no better time to discuss this chapter than right after Christmas. <laughs> right. Or right after the, the self-indulgent holidays, Thanksgiving being one, where we fatten ourselves, you know, physically, but not just physically, spiritually. In a lot oh, yeah. of ways, just we, go to the go to the store yeah. or anything this time of year. It's ridiculous. It's unbelievable, you know. And I uh, like I went to Verizon today to help out Denver pick out a new phone. Right? It was unbelievable. The people there the day after Christmas, right? Right. And they're all cashing in their stuff, and I'm just like, wow, this is this is absolutely amazing in America. What we've turned this into. And I'm standing up the the thing, and I'm like, man. My cell phone bill is over three hundred dollars a month. That's my cell phone bill, three hundred bucks a month. And the lady goes, "Yeah, but you have four lines at you know at uh, unlimited data, and look at all what you're getting." And I'm like, "I'd be happy with a flip phone with no data right now. This is ridiculous, honestly. What have we made our made ourselves need, quote unquote, in this world? Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable." We've sold our souls to this stuff. It's, yeah. You know, and then <laughs> it's nuts. Uh, anyways. It's, it's pretty crazy how, how self-indulgent society has just become. Right. And I, I think- Which that, makes these messages even, like, stronger. Yeah. I, I think in America, this, this message needs to be spoken more than any other. Well, and here's another thing. The rich people that he's talking to, they probably don't see themselves as rich. Right, and and this is one of the things that I, I think a lot of people just don't understand. The rich is always there's always a um, a, a line of demarcation <laughs> that everybody decides what is rich and what is poor or what is middle class, sure. or, you know that sort of thing. And it's like, and no one really puts themselves in the rich category. Uh-uh. I mean. Because there's always somebody richer. <laughs> right, because there's always a higher bar. Exactly. Well, and, I don't have a G6. So, yeah. So, you got a G6. 
Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm only making two mil a year and, <laughs> instead of, you know, 50. Right. So, yeah, I'm just a middle class guy. Right. And, uh, but, you know, then you got the guy making, you know, $40,000 a year. He's in the poverty level. <laughs> well, and then you got some guy in the, you know, $20,000 a year looking at the guy in the $40,000 a year bracket going, man, that guy's rich. Yeah. So, and, and, and then you got people over in Haiti, they're making a dollar a day. <laughs> I don't want to hear it, right? Exactly. <laughs> don't talk to me about it. You know, going yeah. over to, to Brother Alexi's house for the first time, I was blown away by that. Mm-hmm. That's where he lived. Yeah. So, and he's so content with it. It's unbelievable to me. And then we come back over here and we're going, oh, man, I just don't have enough room in my house. The heater, it doesn't heat properly. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's nuts. Yeah, oh it is. Gosh. It is really hard to come back, especially this time of the year yeah. and experience. And to hear people complain—that's the hardest thing for me—is to complain about how something that's you know you always hear people say first world problems. That's a, that's such a real thing. I mean, that's like a real <laughs> statement. It's like that really is a first world problem. Yeah, like no, <laughs> like no one over in a third world country is complaining right. of those things. And uh, it is is really hard. So, I guess the point being is it says a warning to the rich is how the this section is labeled, and and it's like okay, well that's a warning to somebody else, right? Like that's how we're gonna read it. That is how you just read it. I guarantee you. Yeah. You read that thinking, I'm not rich. That's not me. That's not <laughs> talking to me. That's talking about right. someone who makes more money than me. Right. But I guarantee you, if you're if you're living in America, listening to this podcast, this is a warning for you. You are a rich person. Yeah. Um. The simple fact you can hear my voice right now tells me you're a rich person. Right. So we have to. This is a warning to all of us. Yeah. And the the distinctions back then are a lot like the distinctions we had today. There there were super rich people and there were super poor people. Mm-hmm. And you were one of those two classes, really, honestly. Right. It's super rich or super poor. And um and so the sad thing what was happening was these super rich were really stepping on the super poor. Mm-hmm. And we don't see That's ourselves That's how you got there. That's right. We don't see ourselves as stepping on the super poor. But you may be doing it whether you you realize it or not. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah. Just by what you buy, and, I- and, and one just from what we've, what I've seen and experienced is, is you know, having, you know, going to a place like Haiti and seeing, like for example, the fact that we're buying American rice while we're over there, mm-hmm. knowing that the rice farmers over there now have no job anymore, right? Because rice has been purchased and paid for to millionaire farmers in Arkansas to grow rice, yeah. So yeah, those guys, whether they knew it or not, and in their hearts they were content because they were helping the poor nation of Haiti by sending rice down there, but got rich off of the deal. Sure, because everyone bought their rice instead of the Haitians' rice. Right, and you know, I'd encourage you to actually look into if you if you're a giving person during this time of year or any time of year, and you give to charitable nonprofit. Uh, organizations really look into where their money is going Mm -hmm. because a lot of them, this is the warning to them because they are being fraudulent in a lot of what they do. Uh, uh, And I'm not going to say names or anything, but you should really research some of that because it can be very, very dangerous and very misleading. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're withholding 
wages from people or yeah well watch uh there's a there's a documentary if you guys get a chance to watch on netflix or at least it was on netflix last time i checked called poverty inc poverty incorporated mm-hmm. um it's a great flick about how uh it's a documentary about how charitable organizations do exactly what this passage is talking about they right. step all over the rich I mean the poor while trying to help them, right? And uh, it, because it's a business, yeah, it <laughs> poverty, is a, poverty is a business. Whether whether or not you want <laughs> want to believe it, it's it's a definite business. Yeah. There, the, you know, there's some way these guys are getting paid. So, so, so now James switches gears, yeah, in what should be the chapter break. <laughs> I think so. Uh, beginning in verse seven, let's let's go through verse twelve. Okay, it says, uh, "Meanwhile, brothers and sisters, we must be patient." And filled with expectation as we wait for the appearing of the Lord. Think about the farmer who has patiently, who who has to patiently wait for the earth's harvest as it ripens because mm. of the early and latter rains. So you also keep your hopes high and be patient, for the presence of the Lord is drawing closer. Since each of you are part of God's family, never complain or grumble about each other, so that judgment will not come on you. For the true judge is near and very ready to appear. My brothers and sisters, take the prophets as your mentors. They have prophesied in the name of the Lord, and it brought them great suffering, yet they patiently endured. We honor them as our heroes because they remained faithful, even while enduring great sufferings. And you have heard of all that Job went through. And we can now see that the Lord ultimately treated him with wonderful kindness, revealing how tenderhearted he really is. Above all, we must be those who never need to verify our speech as truthful by swearing by the heavens or the earth or any (laughs) other oath. But instead, we must be so full of integrity that our yes or no is convincing enough and we do not stumble into hypocrisy. There's a lot to take in there. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, he definitely switches. Um, and he's, He teeter-totters a little. Right. Because he goes back a little bit, too, there. Right. Um, but, he, but he starts out by, by uh, commanding uh, his brothers to be patient. Yes. And to wait as a farmer waits for the fruit of the earth. Or the harvest, right? right? So a farmer plants, and then he waits, and he tills, and he waits, and he tills, you know, and he and he you know cultivates, and he waits, and, and he waits, and finally the harvest comes. It's really interesting. Wait for the coming of the Lord. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh, I have no doubt that these uh, these disciples really believe that Jesus was going to be back in a matter of years. Mm-hmm. And so they were they were kind of bummed when Jesus didn't show up, and they started getting killed off. Yeah, right. Um, and can you imagine that that feeling of having never, you know, it's like a feeling of abandonment, right? Because it's like, okay, um, when is this going to happen? Because we're starting to catch some heavy, you know, flack here, right? And we're starting to be. Um, tortured or put in a jail or beat up or you know any number of things right and uh and so he's he's basically telling them here that that you need to establish yourself uh that you need to to get your you need to get your mind into a place to where you can do this forever if you need to 
Yeah, I love that line, establish your hearts, Mm -hmm. for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So the idea is, make up your mind. For once and for all, are you going to wait for His coming? Mm -hmm. And are you going to be faithful during that waiting period? Or are you going to fall away? Right. Are you going to reject it, say, this is too hard for me, I can't handle it, and bow out? It's amazing once you get your mind set on something, if you finally establish in your mind that I am going to do this mm-hmm. or I am going to be faithful to this, how much easier it gets, <laughs> right? Right. And that's what James is commanding him, them to do. Make up, establish in your minds that the Lord is coming, I'm going to be faithful, and stay the course. Look Look at how he compares this also to the prophets. Mm. So they all venerate the prophets. Yeah. Like they all lift them up now, the, the, the Daniels, the Ezekiels, the Isaiahs, the Jeremiahs. The, I mean, they lift these guys up. And his point is, but look at them. <laughs> look what they went through. Right. You know, Isaiah was sawn in half. I mean, you're just going through nothing new. Like you're going through the same type of thing that the guys you're venerating as heroes went through. Right. So you can be a hero for Christ the same way these guys were heroes for God. Yeah. And so uh, he he mentions Job, the steadfastness of Job. Mm. What a one to pull out because it's like there's none of these guys going through what Job went through. Right. Like none of them are dealing with that kind of affliction. Right. And, you know, uh, he's he's heavy hitting here mm-hmm. when he brings up the prophets and Job. Think, think about Jeremiah, who everyone hated him. Yeah. He had no friends. He had no, you know, uh, it's a lot like what they were going through at the time. Their own brothers and sisters were treating them horribly, mm-hmm. right, uh, for, for following Christ. And so, uh, yeah, and then Job... Uh, he uh, in the in the midst of all his struggling, he remained steadfast. He didn't he didn't waver in his conviction of who God was and and uh, the power that God held. Right. And and so, th- you know, that's what James is commanding them to do. It's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, he's trying to get him to to remain steadfast. And I I think it's kind of cool that he puts this right in the middle of all of this about this whole patience. And going through suffering, he also throws in this little tidbit about don't be judging one another. Don't be arguing and grumbling with with one another. Um, and I think that, that there is an important message in that. Right. That it's a juxtaposition. This isn't, this isn't like him going, oh, yeah, by the way. Quit grumbling, like like you said, the old man James, who just something just popped in his brain all of a sudden and it came out right. in the middle of his of his dissertation. No, I think that there is a correlation here because when you stop, when you are so busy focusing on um, your problems, you end up the a diverting to other people. You know what I mean? You end up like, sure. well, let's focus on, well, yeah, I know I've got uh, this issue, but, you know, what about Jeremiah? Have you thought about him? Like he's got, you want to to diverge the attention or and shift it, you know, like if, let's say it's even a persecution coming 
your way. You know, you want to, you want to, oh, wait a minute, I'm not the only one doing this. Sure. And so, uh, because misery loves company. Right. Right. And so, and I think that this is, is kind of what he's saying is like, you get into this midst of this issue of judging one another and uh, condemning one another in the midst of your own trials. And he's like, remember, the real judge is coming. Right. And, and you need to be careful about how you're judging others in the middle of all your sure all your problems. Um, That's good. So anyway, I, I think that he's I think that he's he's trying to um, to just point out that if you're not focused on waiting on the Lord, you're going to get focused on something else, and right. that something else is generally going to be your own well being. Right. Right. And so okay, uh, it's very it's so weird that. I wouldn't say weird, but it's it's hilarious. This verse twelve. Okay. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's it's hilarious how many times I've heard people go, ah, oh, you can't, you know, you can't. Yeah, you can't you can't serve on a jury because the the Bible tells us not to swear, not to swear. Yeah, right. And this is an echo of the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. <laughs> right. So James is once again James goes to the Sermon on the Mount several times. Exactly, and he that's one of the places he's doing it. Yes. So what is he what is he trying to say here, David? What's what's he doing? Uh, well, I believe what he is saying here has nothing whatsoever to do with whether or not you should raise your right hand <laughs> or put your hand on a Bible in the middle of a courtroom. Or say, so help me God. Or... Right. Um, his point is that corruption, when people lie for a living, they have to pull in some higher power in order to be trusted. Right. So you have to say, so when people don't believe you, they go, well, swear to God. You swear to God and I'll believe you because they think, okay, well, if this guy has any moral scruples at all, he's going to at least tell the truth if he knows that this is it's tied to his, <laughs> his mortal soul, right? right. Um, which is nothing new. That's what they were doing here is, uh, remember, he's talking about corruption. He's talking about self-righteousness. He's talking about the fact that they're swindlers and they're cheats and they're liars and all this sort of thing. And so he says, that's why he says, above all. Right. I've, I've told you all this stuff. He's like, but above all, you need to be people of integrity. Like, if you want to sum up what he says in this paragraph, that's what he's saying. Be people of integrity this, so that when people hear you, they know you're telling the truth. You don't have to swear on something you can't control, like the earth or the heavens or God's throne or whatever it is. You don't have to swear by those things to be trusted. <laughs> right. So for me, it's a uh, an echo of verse 8. Okay. Establish your hearts. Mm-hmm. Okay. What he means is draw your line in the sand and 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 be be a man of integrity. Mm-hmm. Right? Gird up your loins. That's right. Another way to say that, right? Yeah. yeah. Make up your mind. Man up. Cowboy up. Man up and say, I, I am gonna do this or I'm gonna not do this. One of the things I find interesting is uh for me personally is whenever I uh I wanna do something. 
Mm-hmm. I swear I'm going to do this. I swear <laughs> I'm to next week I am going to go on a diet. I swear <laughs> to God. I am not going to, you know what I mean? I'm yeah, not going to yeah. back I swear honey, I'll do the dishes tomorrow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's a it's a natural thing and we may even have good intent by saying that. Right. We may trying to try to will ourselves. But the minute our yes becomes yes, this is going to happen. Yeah. Period. That's when you've established your heart. Mm-hmm. And that's why when someone saying, when someone says, Are you gonna do that? and you go, Yes, and you actually do it. Right. That's that's the establishment of your heart. That that means that you have become a man of integrity. Yeah. And so are you going to come hell or high water, be faithful to the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Whether you are beaten and get your fingernails torn off. Right. Or whether you sit and rot in a cell or you watch your kids die in front of you, and all that has happened in Christendom. When it means everything to you. Right. When, whenever Jesus is the sole reason you exist, yeah. then you start, you start being a man of integrity. Right. You, start, you stop the hypocrisy. Yeah. You stop being fake. Because that's what he's trying to say. I, I love... Okay, so I'm going to compare these yes, translations. Yes, the passion translation. Okay, so it's good. We we've read. I've got the ESV in front of me. Right. There's nothing wrong with the ESV, and there's nothing wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying anything wrong it, with yeah. any of these. But okay, but the ESV. If you just read verse 12 by itself, it sounds very legalistic. Right. It says, "But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation." So it basically sounds like a rule. Yeah. It sounds like a law that's being. But I love the way the Passion Translation brings the heart (laughs) of what he's saying out. Sure. It says, above all, we must be those who never need to verify our speech as truthful by swearing by the heavens or the earth or any other oath. But instead, we must be so full of integrity that our yes or no is convincing enough that we do not stumble into hypocrisy. Mm. So the condemnation that it talks about here is the condemnation of being a hypocrite. Right. And so the, 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 the translation means the same thing, but it's functionally equivalent. But the, 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 the way that is worded to me is... It helps you understand Helps it. you get the point that this is not legalism. No. This is not telling you not God to be... God is going to condemn you if you Not don't. to be a firefighter because right. you got to swear or to be a, a police kind of officer service. because you have to swear yeah. on the Bible. Quit looking at it like it's some list of rules to do and don't do. In look order, at the heart of the matter. Yeah, look at what he's trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us, quit being a hypocrite. Right. And which, once again, we've said this before, but once again, that's kind of what we end up doing when you do make these things into rules. Exactly. And you do treat them like rules is... Maybe you maybe you do refuse to sit on a uh, jury of your peers uh, because they make you swear and you don't believe in swearing. But at the same time, are you going to go home and sin? Of course. <laughs> and don't lie and say no. <laughs> so shut up. You so hypocrite. that's that's hypocr- That's hypocrisy. You're right. And so that's what that's what this leads you into. Right. But instead, if we look at the point. To where you go home and everyone knows you're telling the truth because you're just a truthful person. Right. 
That's the point of the verse. Exactly. He's faithful. He's a square dealing fella. Exactly. You've been square dealing with me. Mm. All right. So let's hit the last uh, verses of this. This is 13 through uh, okay. 20. Are maybe there... 13 through. Yeah, let's go on through. Okay, let's do we, it. we can break it up. All right. Are there any believers in your fellowship suffering great hardship and distress? Encourage them to pray. Are there, are there happy, cheerful ones among you? Encourage them to sing out their praises. Are there any sick among you? Then ask the elders of the church to come and pray over the sick and to anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have committed sins, they will be forgiven. Confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another. And then pray for one another to be instantly healed. (laughs) For tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Elijah was a man with human frailties, just like all of us. But he prayed and received supernatural answers. He actually shut the heavens over the land so there would be no rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed again and the skies opened up over the land so that the rain came again and produced the harvest. Finally, as members of God's beloved family, we must go after the one who wanders from the truth and bring him back. For the one who restores the sinning believer back to God from the error of his way gives back to his soul life from the dead and covers over countless sins by their demonstration of love. There's a whole lot of theology in this. Oh my goodness! Um, a ton to ton to hit, and I don't even know, man. All right, well, we, let's start at the first there and talk about um, suffering with those who suffer. Actually, let's look verse thirteen through fourteen. Okay, this is a picture of the church. Yeah, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the ones that are suffering, they need to pray. Yeah, the ones who are cheerful. They need to sing praise. This sounds like a functioning church, by the way. Yeah. If one of them's sick, the others in the church come around and help him out. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, that was a, uh, an awesome thing. Okay, so uh, how do you get get to this? Um Verse 15 the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up, and mm-hmm. if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Where do you go with that, David? Oh, you're just going to throw that at me. I am. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and then I'll I'll tell you whether I agree or not. <laughs> there you go. Name it, claim it. Your yeah. turn. <laughs> <laughs> no. Now, I believe that uh, you can overthink these passages. I, I, I think that, once again, we, we need to make sure we don't miss the forest for the trees. And the point of these verses is about unity and fellowship. It's, I mean, it all blends together. We're not, it doesn't separate out whenever it talks about the ones who are sick, you know, or the, this prayer of faith that will heal them. Um, that definitely does happen. Yes. Let's don't dis, dis, discount that. The, the, the problem we get into is whenever we read this like it is a um, like it is a hundred percent 
guarantee that, that this person will be healed. And if so, if not, then the faith must have been missing because this verse says faith equals healing. healing. Um, that's, that is, you're, you're putting concrete in, into the text that's not there. What, the point is not do this, get that. Right, exactly. The, the the point of the passage is that faith needs to exist in the suffering. Koinonia needs to exist in suffering. You've got to go through this together. And God will answer faithful prayers. And he will heal people. And he will... Um, uh, forgive sins, right? And he will be a part of all of that, but wants you to also be a part of it, right? And so, to me, that is the point of the passage. the The passage is not made. To, it's the same way with uh, the, the proverbs: train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And then you look at a kid who's gone apostate. Obviously, his parents 20. didn't train him. Yeah, obviously his parents must not have obeyed that. They must not have trained him. We're in a in a lot of these cases. Right. They got more training than most. Right. Um, it's not. It's not meant. These are words of wisdom. Of you can't get to A or B without A, but it doesn't mean that you that every single time this is what's going to happen. Right. And again, because God's will has to come into play. If 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 you're if you're looking at this as a uh if if A didn't happen then then B won't happen. In other words, if you didn't have enough faith then 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 or if if he didn't get healed then obviously you didn't have enough faith. Um it does not mean that the scripture is is not accurate. Look at what it says. It says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So what if you pray faithfully, anointing that person with oil, and he doesn't and he doesn't recover and he dies? Does that mean it's over? No, it doesn't mean it's over. This is you have a temporary worldview. Mm-hmm. You have a temporary mindset, not an eternal mindset. Will that person, if he was a faithful believer in Christ, be raised up? Yes. Absolutely, 100%. Will his sins be forgiven? Well, they've 100%. already been forgiven, right? Right. right? The truth is that that person will be raised up. His sins are forgiven. Your prayer of faith did not was not negligent. God always answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no, or wait. Yes, if... Uh, if it's in his will, no. If if he has a bigger plan, a bigger plan, wait. If it's not the right time, mm-hmm. and that's that's the case in this. Well, let's not forget that the same guy who just wrote that, just three verses earlier, <laughs> four verses earlier, talked about Job. Right. Okay. Job, I'm sure was he was a faithful guy, right? Yeah. He, it, the, it tells us as much. He was a faithful guy. I'm sure he was praying daily, man, can you please take this away from me? Right. But does that mean that Job wasn't faithful enough? Not at all. No, because there was something else going on. Mm-hmm. And so let's not forget that this is a these are words of encouragement and wisdom. They're not promises of of absolute if you do A, you get B. Right. Uh, it's about faith. And right. it's about Faith through suffering. Um, so, and look how it continues. It talks about confessing sins to each other. 
so that you may be healed. Does, right. does that mean like you're not going to be healed if you don't confess sins to each other? No, I mean God can heal you of those things in your uh, <laughs> private closet, your right. war room, whatever. But uh, but it it's this whole point of this entire section of of scripture is about the power of koinonia. Right. The power of fellowship, the power of unity, and how we utilize one another's strengths so that we might be strong. Right. And the other the other point is faith. It's a big deal. In fact, this is an echo of chapter one mm-hmm. and verse five. Any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously with all without reproach. It will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Again, it's addressing prayer and prayer in faith, mm-hmm. trusting that God will deliver and and having having faith in that. And that's a, that's an absolutely important thing that we must not miss out. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't say that that if your prayer didn't work, then obviously you didn't have enough faith. The very fact that you're praying shows your faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Yes. Uh, the fact that you are earnestly going to the Lord and petitioning for something to happen shows your faith, and and the and the point is just like you were talking about. It's all working together. The person who's suffering prays. The person who's cheerful praises. Mm-hmm. Then the the elders come and they pray over the and, sick. And this is why James went spent so much time talking about hypocrisy, self righteousness looking down on others, and judging one another. Right. Because if you're so busy doing that, you're not doing this. Right. So this this whole thing is is getting us, like all of that teaching about not being uh, high-minded, not being uh, focused on our own wealth, all that brings us down to this. Yeah. Like, you want to know how to deal with suffering, you do it together. And you can't do it together if you're judging one another and creating class systems within the church. Right. I mean, look at verse 16. Therefore, for this reason, therefore, it's a very powerful word, and whenever you read therefore, you need to go back up and look at what he has said before, which we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Yeah, stop and think about the power of that. It is real easy to confess certain things to one another, yeah. but it is really hard to confess those things to one another that you probably really need to be confessing. Being being gut level honest, yeah. And so, um, especially like one of the ways it's worded here in the Passion Translation: confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another, and then pray for one another to be instantly healed. For tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. So the passionate, heartfelt prayers. I mean, that doesn't come whenever your confessions are superficial. No. It comes whenever your confessions hurt a little bit or they dig in and but there's so much relief and there's so much um um, freedom, right? That's attached to that as well. I mean, this is all the power of what a church body is, and it is so much not what so many churches are, which is sad. 
that you know churches are largely about the event hmm. and less about the family right of it and and this is definitely telling us how church is supposed to be a family right that suffers together that endures together that goes through sickness and rejoices together um, amen he brings up elijah and mm-hmm. he talks about he was a man just like we are but he prayed fervently that it might not rain Three years and six months, it didn't rain on earth. Yeah. So he shows the faith of Elijah, mm-hmm. and he basically says, "He's just like you. Yeah, if he could do it, why can't you?" Right, and that's that's really his message. So, if we were gut level honest, do we have that kind of faith? Mm. Right, right. The faith that could that could, and and the cool thing is, go back and read those passages he's talking about in well, like Second Kings eighteen, somewhere in that area. Mm-hmm. And look at Elijah. He's a broken guy. Yeah. He's not superhero uh, material, even though he does outrun chariots. Right. That's true. <laughs> so cool. But, <laughs> but, uh, but he's not superhuman. He, in fact, right after this, like this event that he mentions right here about <laughs> stopping the rain for, for uh, three years and then letting it rain again, um, he goes and sulks in a cave. Yes, he goes and he he collapses in on himself. Right. Because it didn't have the impact he thought it should have. Right. He didn't see conversions. He didn't see the numbers of the when the altar call came. Right. Right. He didn't see the conversions and he didn't see people streaming down the aisle yeah. like he expected. <laughs> And which is, by the way, another reason why those are the wrong types of statistics we need to be fo- focused on. focusing on. But it, that's what his 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 old complaint was. Mm. This is useless. Right. I'm doing these 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 things that are magical in people's eyes through God, and they still don't see. Mm. And God's answer to him was basically, you know, you're expecting to see me in the fire, in the earthquake, in the the wind. But that's not where I'm at. I'm in the still small voice. Right. And that there are thousands of others that are hearing this still small voice and they're with you. Hmm. So once again, it goes back to Koinonia. Yeah. You're not in this alone. Go be with, go, go find those 7,000 people I just mentioned and you'll have a family. Right. And so that this it's a really cool example for him to throw in here. Right. So his last two verses sum up that whole idea of family. Mm. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, that doesn't mean that... <laughs> If you bring somebody back from wondering, that's your salvation. That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is... It's just a jewel in the crown. <laughs> a picture of a faithful follower of Jesus is somebody whose mission is to go and bring back the brokenhearted or bring back the ones that, that yeah. have strayed. Not to condemn those people. Mm-hmm. Not to look down their noses on those people or kick them out of their churches. Yeah, But to bring them lovingly back into the fold. Yeah, and this is, you know, we can get so much in the weeds on these verses and mm. make all kinds of theological arguments and debate and et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, 
arguments about eternal salvation or eternal security. I mean, there's all kinds of theological debates that can happen simply because these two verses that James give us. But if we do that, we're doing exactly what he's preaching against. Right. What he's preaching about is unity, not arguments and not division and not theology. He's not being, yes, you were right, there's a lot of theology in these verses, but he's not being theological. Uh-uh. He's not trying to set up a seminary. He's not trying to set up a debate. He's trying to tell you, be a family. Quit fighting for crying out loud. Quit judging for crying out loud. Embrace one another. Love one another. Lift one another up. And in this passage, if one of you slips out the door, go get that sucker. Right. And because the value of that is great. That's what he's saying here at the end. It's not, these verses aren't made to make us argue about whether or not that person who wonder, well, what if he died while he's out there? Is his soul lost for eternity? That's not James's point. He's not trying to make any of those arguments. So quit fighting about that stuff and do exactly what he says to do, which is go out and get the guy because whether or not you believe he lost his salvation or whether or not he was never saved to begin with or whatever (laughs) lingo you want to throw at it, the guy needs to be brought back in. Amen. And so that's the point. Right. Is that we're family, right? And family cares for one another. Family loves each other. Family doesn't leave a man behind. Like that's what he's saying. Sure, you never leave a man behind. Amen. And it's so easy to do. It's so easy to let that person go out the door. Well, they weren't really part of us very much anyway. You know, they they just they never really fit in. You know, hope you found a good church family that you know will fit your needs. And right. That will, you know, and they, I was never really getting fed there. You know, I mean, there's all this stuff that happens. It's like stop all that and love each other. Sure. And and be together because that's how we're going to survive suffering Amen. and adversity. Hmm. So James summed up: love others, be equal under the foot of the cross, care for one another, and suffer well. <laughs> yes, enjoy it. Enjoy Have it. fun with that. Amen. <laughs> it's good. All right, you got some news for I us, do. Man? And now, the news. All right, so some very interesting news. Uh, a pretty fam- famous evolutionist uh, retracts a key study on the origin of life that he did. He's a secular, secular science, uh, scientist um, who attempted to explain the origins of life that made a bold admission uh, that has been causing waves in the Darwinian oh, evolution really? group. Yeah, uh, Jack Sostak of Harvard University in a 2016 paper published uh, – a claim that he and his colleagues figured out a way to get RNA to replicate itself. <laughs> I wrote a book. There you go. <laughs> uh, they uh, most Darwinian evolutionists believe that RNA and nu- nucleic acid presented uh, present in all living cells was some of the first molecules that form on the earth and give rise to living things. But for this to happen, the RNA would have to somehow reproduce on its own without uh, requisite enzymes that would have not yet evolved. Oh, really? Yes. Does that make sense? So, in a, uh, Sostak claimed in 2016, and his buddy Olson, another scientist there, that RNA had self-replicated in his lab. 
but they've just now come out uh, stating this is, that that was a lie. Um, uh, so he created primordial soup in his lab. Yeah, that's basically. He says in and this man told me. He said, "Did you know that we have uh, evolved from protozoas?" <laughs> Do you know what a protozoa is? Goldong no, sea monkey. It's a goldong sea monkey. <laughs> Wait, what? Can you imagine that? Uh, this is what he says. In retrospect, we will to- we were totally blinded by our belief. We were not as careful or rigorous as we should have been in interpret interpreting these experiments. Hmm. So this is a big deal. Um, wow. <laughs> I love how, all right, so this is Ann Gager. She's a developmental biologist and author of Evolution News and Science Today blog, a big atheist and evolutionary theorist. She Mm -hmm. says, scientists are human, and they desire certain outcomes that fit with strongly held beliefs. It's absolutely necessary that we be our own severest critics and check and double-check our interpretations of data. This applies to all (coughs) points of views on the origin spectrum. spectrum. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I know. It's hilarious. So anyways, uh, bummer evolutionists, you can't replicate RNA. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Wycliffe Bible translators are working on a way to reach the deaf community with God's word. I wrote a book. I'm using the fire out of that one today. Yeah, just wait. The Bible has been translated into thousands of languages across the globe, but one people group that is often unable to read the Bible in a language they can understand is the deaf community. CBN News reports that Wycliffe Bible translators have been working tirelessly to ensure that the Bible is translated in every language. Recently, Wycliffe uh, translators began working on reaching the deaf community with a sign language Bible translation. Hmm. That's right. Sign language. Chantel Pagan, the director of the uh, Advocacy for Death Blind Bible Society, explained that although deaf people can read the Bible, having it translated into sign language communicates to them on a deeper level. It is how they communicate best, said Pagan. It's how they understand best, and I think that the Lord wants to communicate with us best. He wor- He wants us to understand Him, and He wants that <clears throat> for the deaf commu- deaf community as well. So, you know so this lady's just, name is Pagan? Yeah. Do you know what I just had an image of? A deaf Pagan? No, how are they going to sign translate Ezekiel 23? So anyways, <laughs> uh, so why not give them scripture in their heart language? She <laughs> continued, why not translate the scriptures in a format they can understand? Draw pictures? And offer video to connect. Uh, video. video to connect content that they have on technological devices that's pretty cool so thank you Wycliffe Wycliffe is like amazing to me I I hold Wycliffe uh Bible translators in like the utmost esteem (laughs) so all right and last uh not least on news I still have some uh other stuff but yeah uh Christianity Today has come out with their 2018 book awards oh you missed it the one time I wanted you to play. The one time you had it planned. Oh my gosh. And I'm just like popping it out everywhere on So <laughs> you can go on uh online to christianitytoday.com and check out their uh, 2018 book awards. But for ap- uh, apologetics and evangelism, the story of reality by Gregory Kunkel. Uh, uh let's see. The, for biblical studies, Stephen J. Chester. 
uh, reading Paul with the Reformers. That one looks really interesting yeah, to me. Interesting. Yeah. The one I like the, the, for children and youth, The Day the Angels Fell by Sean Smucker. <laughs> or so like uh, what was it um, Paradise Lost right in children's form <laughs> uh, let's see but another one of my favorites hold on let me pull it down on history oh history and biography this one's good PTL praise the lord the rise and fall of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's evangelical empire <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so anyways, go check that out. I've been uh, having fun and uh, have a new book list that I need to start brushing up on. All right, today in church history, hop in our TARDIS. Yeah. Go back in time just a little bit. Time and relative dimensions in space. That's right. Today in church history... When the people of Western Europe awoke on this day, December 26, 800, they had an emperor again. On Christmas Day, as King Charles of France knelt in prayer before the altar of the church at St. Peter's in Rome, Pope Leo III suddenly placed a golden crown on his head. <laughs> the Roman people shouted three times, To Charles Augustus, crowned by God, the great and pacific emperor of the romans life and victory <laughs> charles was reverenced by the pope and called emperor and augustus after the manner of the leaders of ancient rome why is this important because pope or charles the third as he would later be called charlemagne was crucial in building the new westernized roman empire mm. uh, they had been struggling for quite a lot of years <clears throat> uh, especially falling prey to the moors or the muslims yeah. as well as fighting against eastern roman empire mm -hmm. uh, at the time um and charles was an empire builder he was pretty powerful the coronation of uh charles was a big deal because he used his military might to force people to become christians yeah <laughs> he reestablished that's the crusade. roman empire that's right um charles he continued to rule as a divinely appointed protector of the church he was not only the first but Possibly the greatest, the emperors from the 8th through the 19th century. He restored education, improved law, supported the church, backed Alkin's attempts to produce an accurate Bible in many other ways, did much that was good. So in France, his name became Charlemagne. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, and then uh, today, uh, how about some Pope News? Brothers and sisters, come together. Hallelujah. <laughs> On December twentieth, December seventeenth, two thousand seventeen, in Vatican City, Pope Francis celebrated his eighty-first birthday. Oh, oh happy birthday, happy the Pope! Birthday. He celebrated with a pizza party for yes. six children. <laughs> That's right. He invited six children to the pizza party. Here, have a piece of pizza, but don't cough on that. Mm. That's all right. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it was said, "A joyous spirit is like a good land that grows life well with good fruit." He said. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> Happy birthday to Popa. That's all I got for you. <laughs> all right. Um, I don't think we had any feedback. None go whatsoever. Uh, we may have had some comments here or there on Facebook. but uh, well, You still have to read all of James for... Uh, yes, that is going to happen. 
Uh, probably going to do that um, next couple of weeks. Yeah. So uh, sounds good. We want to try and have a uh, a uh, Riley Neal episode. Oh yeah, Riley that's or right. Jack. I don't know when those guys are. Good old Rye guy. Rye's going to be around for. Um, Another week at least. Yeah. So Jack's we, heading out pretty quick. Oh, is he? I think the third. Gotcha. So, so yeah. Well, while, while we got those guys in town, we should. Uh, I think I think uh, Riley had wanted to do an episode on um, <laughs> something hard, probably. No, it was like uh, it was like <laughs> top ten. Yes. Oh, really? A top ten? Yeah. So uh, it was theologians. Top ten theologians. Yeah, I could do that. That'd be kind of hard, but I could do it. Yeah. All right, are we ready? Yeah, let's let's do this thing. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all our shows, including The Secret Fire Podcast and Finding Christ in Cinema. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or... Call us. Yes. We haven't gotten a call in a long time. So uh, the voice lines are now open at 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. If you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right. Thanks for being here, Jeremiah. Thank you, David Getty. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission at gctnetwork.com.